Mark chapter 3, if you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Mark chapter 3 is a special passage. Here is the picture of Jesus calling the 12 apostles. You reach back all the way into the history of the church, and you have the 12 apostles. Here we are introduced to Jesus calling them and making them the 12 apostles. If you are a guest with us, we are going through the book of Mark. This is what we do. Read the Bible and then find out what it says. It should be a little bit like a Bible study today. Let's go to Mark chapter 3. We'll start in verse 13. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 13. <clears throat> and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boandrines, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Join me as we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask you to help us. Lord, I pray you would bring strength and healing and hope that you would restore a newness and a joy in salvation. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, that what I say would rightly represent what you've given us in your Word. So we'll walk away knowing what this Word means. We ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the late 12th century, Richard the Lionheart was surreptitiously killed in the Battle of Aquitaine. Richard the Lionheart is dead, and now John, his evil brother John Lackland, became king. And under his ill-advised leadership in England, under his ill-advised leadership, the throne there in England would be weakened, and England as a kingdom would diminish and almost crumble. Lands were lost, churches closed, the Pope put the entire country under an interdict. That means you couldn't have church, excommunicated the king. And throughout that kingdom, there was a labyrinth of greed and excess and sexual immorality and, and indifference to the things of God. And I read that history. And I thought, man, that feels a lot like the United States of America. Now, I thank God we live in a democracy, a democracy if we can keep it. Thank God we live in a democracy in the United States, and we are citizens of the United States. But more than that, we are citizens of a kingdom. And our king is not weak like John 
lack land. Our king is strong. And our king, King Jesus, lives to make us strong and healthy. And in this passage, we are introduced to King Jesus and some of the elements of Jesus when he starts to build his kingdom called the church. Let's see what's going on here. And Mark, once again, if you've just joined us, Mark has taken an aside. He's pausing to give an editorial and to sort of bring us up to date as to what is going on with Jesus and his followers. And he gives us a little picture of how Jesus builds his church. Acts 2, the church is born, but here, right here, Mark chapter 3, is the beginning of the church. Mark chapter 3 gives us a pattern for, for health, for my health and strength. As we live in a world that doesn't welcome our kingdom, doesn't like our king. Look, I struggled <clears throat> I struggled this week with how do you get at this, how to, how to preach it, how to get at it, how to open it up so that we can get all the nutrients that are found in this text. I think the best way to do it is just to walk systematically. Just walk right through it and pick up things as we go, as we go along. So what I want to do this morning is, is give you six phrases. Once I decided on phrases, then I thought, you know, I should have used sentences, but here we are. Six phrases. I want to give you six phrases that show the Lord's church will be healthy and strong. The Lord's church, that's the theme, will be healthy and strong. Let's go to the phrases, six phrases to show strength and health. Here's the first one, number one, that is periodic separation. Periodic separation. Now, if a phrase bothers you, let me give you a sentence. We need periodic separation. Periodic, time to time to get away with God. Notice how it opens up verse 13. We are introduced in verse 13 to the formation of Jesus and his 12 disciples. They will be called apostles. An apostle with a capital A is something we are not. An apostle is someone that was with Jesus from his baptism to his crucifixion and resurrection. There are no apostles. They're called apostles right here in one other place in the book of Mark. Not only were they apostles, they were more than that. They also were close followers of Jesus. We can't be apostles, but we can be close followers of Jesus. And in verse 13, the text opens up by telling us that Jesus went up on the mountain. You see there? He went up on the mountain like a new and better Moses. He didn't go up there to get the law. He goes up to fulfill the law. He goes off to the mountain to a place of separation from the crowds, a place that's separated from the busyness, from life, from people. I started doing the study and wanted to see what do the other gospels say. A cross-reference here is Luke chapter 6. If you, you might even see that at the bottom of your Bible. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Luke tells us that in those days... He went up on the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Now, when I checked that cross-reference and read that, that before he chose the apostles, he spent the entire night by himself asking God. It really convicted me. Because here, 
Here is the perfect sinless Son of God spending all night praying before he makes this decision to call these 12 apostles. He prayed like this before something, and if he needed to do that, how much more do I need to have periodic separation? Time being alone with God, where I'm putting my concerns and my decisions and my problems and my issues, putting them before God. Look, God won't build his church and he won't build your life if you, are, you and I are not drawing away with him. You need a concerted time of fellowship. You need a concerted time of being with God. Look, I want to be a strong and healthy Christian. I want to grow as a Christian man. I want to be a part of a church that is a strong and healthy church that is growing as a Christian church. If that's going to happen, I need to be alone with God, and you need to be alone with God. I wonder if you this morning wouldn't commit. Would you commit to give your mornings to God? The great Baptist preacher of another day, Adrian Rogers, if you ever listened to Adrian Rogers, if you haven't ever listened, you can probably pull it up somewhere online. I hate for you to go and listen because you'll come back and realize how good he is. But thankfully, he's gone. Only with the Lord. So all you got is me now. You go and listen to Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers once said that the prayer offered to God in the morning is the key that unlocks the rest of your day. I wonder if you would start right now, make the commitment right this second to give your mornings to the Lord. The Lord's church will be strong and healthy but it takes periodic separation. Let me give you another phrase, a second phrase. We'll try, maybe this is a better phrase. Number two, that is divine initiative. Divine initiative. You want a sentence? We rely on divine initiative. Let me go to verse 13. Let's read the whole thing. Join me there. Notice how Mark writes it. <clears throat> and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came. See how Mark writes it? Mark makes it sound like there's a larger group of people that are following Jesus, and out of that larger group of people, Jesus calls 12. But there's something else in this verse, if you keep looking at it. Verse 13, this verse is filled with the sovereign power of Jesus. Jesus called, the text says, who he wanted, and they came to him. Doesn't it make you think that there's power in the call of God? There's power when the Spirit moves in somebody's life? Not only that, when you look at this passage, you find out that the authority of Jesus has come to center stage. The text tells us that he seeks out, he does the choosing he appoints his disciples. This is the very same thing. This is the very same thing that Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed. What's interesting, on the front end of Jesus' ministry, he calls his disciples. On the back end of his ministry, the night he was betrayed, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you 
and appointed you that you would bear fruit. It's a beautiful picture of the sovereign Jesus that he really is in control. There's something else Agent Rogers said. He's a great preacher. A lot of things he said, but what he said about the sovereignty of God. Adrian Rogers said, God is sovereign. That means he's in control. God is sovereign. You can live with confidence. You don't have to be afraid. There are plenty of things in this world to make you afraid. One thing that overrides all of that, God is sovereign. You don't have to be afraid. When he decides to take you out of the world, there's nothing that you can do to not be taken out. And if he decides to keep you here, there's not a demon in hell that can come get you. God is sovereign. Don't be afraid. Even Jesus, when Jesus talked about going to the cross, remember what he said? John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus said, no one, nobody takes my life from me. I am laying it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have from my Father. Brothers and sisters, this divine initiative, this divine initiative gives us great hope when we share the gospel. Because the saving is not up to us. It's not, it's not up to you to be a great salesman to try to convince people this is really something good. It's up to you and I to share the gospel that goes like this. God is a holy creator who created you in his image. The image of God in you does give you dignity, but that image has been disfigured by sin. Sin is an offense to God. That offense is such that we stand under condemnation. John chapter 3, verse 18, under condemnation. But God doesn't leave us there. He's not just a condemning God. He has to condemn sin, but he loves us. God in his goodness has given us Jesus who lived perfectly, because we can't. He did that fulfilling the law. We're designed to fill the law, but we just don't. And Jesus then goes to the cross. The cross is the instrument of judgment. And God in his wrath has poured out all of the judgment that we deserve on Jesus. And he killed his son when he should have killed us. Jesus buried in the grave three days. God, to show it worked, he accepts that. He raised Jesus bodily from the grave. He appeared to hundreds of people. He ascended into heaven. And the gospel is given. That's you and I. We share that. You can share the gospel. We wait on God to save people. It's divine initiative. That's why we pray for lost people. We pray God will, will do something to open eyes and start a heart. It's good for us to rely that it doesn't, it's not all whether or not you share it correctly. We trust God that he will do the work in somebody's life. We want to be a healthy and strong people. It means you need to be separated with God, periodic separation, your time with God, devote your mornings to the Lord. And another is we rely, we trust in God's initiative, God's sovereignty, God working. He'll do that. Let me give you a third a third phrase I think you can pull out of the text, and that is solid discipleship. Solid discipleship. Get to verse 14. We turn our attention in verse 14 to the call of these 12 apostles. 
And although there are no capital A apostles in the world today, we can learn a significant lesson about what it means to actually be a Christian, a follower of Christ, by looking at verse 14 and verse 15. So verse 14 in the first part, you'll see discipleship. Second part, you'll see mission. Verse 15 is authority that we don't have. That was for the apostle. Let me just read it to you. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So let's drill down to verse 14, the very, the very front end of verse 14, so that they might be with him. That's discipleship to be with Jesus, to get a genuine spiritual education. Remember now, these 12 men spent every single day, every day for three years with Jesus. They watched him, they heard from him, they learned every lesson that he taught. We don't have it all. John says, if, we, if I was to write down everything Jesus said and did, even the world couldn't contain the books. So we don't know everything they learned, but they were with Jesus they imitated Jesus. They were corrected by Jesus. Those 12 grew in Christ's likeness. Now, since we don't have the embodied Jesus here on earth with us, how then do we grow as a disciple? Jesus ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came down. If you are in Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. How then do you grow? How are we disciples? I'll give you a Several things God has given us, tangible things. One thing is you've been given corporate worship. What do we do on Sunday mornings? We gather together here. This is corporate worship. We do so opening up with Scripture, the Word of God. We sing the Word of God to one another and to the Lord. We open up the Bible. It's not dependent on a person or a personality. We open the Bible, read it, and then we hear from God's Word. Part of your Christianity, you can't develop as a Christian if you're not coming to church on a Sunday morning and worshiping with God's people. You need corporate worship. You know what else you need? You need daily, every day, Bible intake. What a great time to be alive. You've been given a translation of God's Word in your language that you can understand. What a gift. Most of you sitting here have multiple Bibles. Bibles at home, Bible on, on the shelf, maybe in the floorboard of your car. You've got enough Bibles, and one of the ways that you're going to grow is taking a meal every single day, eating a meal of God's Word every single day that's going to feed your soul. You couple that with focused prayer and confession. Most of us run through prayer. Remember Jesus himself, the perfect Son of God, Luke chapter 6, spent all night I wonder if you could just take the Lord's Prayer line by line and just pray through that. Your Father who is in heaven, you pray that the will that is perfect, the perfect will of God done in heaven would be done in your life, that you are guarded from temptation. You thank God for the daily bread. You take that and learn to focus a time of prayer and confession. You know what would be good for your soul? To confess. I mean, to list the sins that you know you've committed to God, but don't stop with confessing your sin 
you also confess what has God done with that sin. Don't leave it there. Let's confess that at the cross, Jesus took the punishment for your sin. By God's grace, you are forgiven of your sin and you live in the grace of God. We don't just confess our sins. We confess the grace of God. And then we find a small group. I'll give you another, another thing. You need to find a small group to be a part of. If you're not going to our community groups where you'll meet people that'll know your name and can take care of you when things don't go well and be in a discipleship group, two or three people that are investing in your life, you're reading the Bible together, praying for one another. Not only that, I'll give you one more. The way that you're going to grow as a, as a disciple is obedience. Now we lie on this stage today with students. You grow up as a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old in the world today. The tide of morality is pressing so hard against those students. And it's going to take more and more for them to be able to stand strong with both feet planted to stand against the current. We want to, to not only teach what the Bible says, but how to live what the Bible says. To find out what does God want out of me, and then how do I live in a way that honors God? Look, God has, God has given us the church. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. God has given us people. God has given us the hope of the gospel. And with those elements, the Lord's church will be healthy and strong. Let me give you another phrase. Here's a fourth one. I said I got six. Some of you are timing it out right now. Just slow down. You see how dark it's getting out there? You might as well stay in here with me for a minute. Let's go to the fourth one. Ready? Number four. Number four is gospel ministry. It's four, it was verse 14 again. You can take verse 14 and split it into two. You probably have already seen that. One side is being with Jesus, and then the other side of verse 14, being sent out. Go back with me. Let me read it. Verse 14. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. That's discipleship, growing, being nurtured. With him, and then look at the rest. And he might send them out to preach. There's ministry. Jesus appointed them. He commissioned them. What for? To send them out to preach, to proclaim, to herald, to say, to speak, to give an account for the hope that is within you. That is sharing the gospel. Look, the focus of Christian ministry is a narrow focus. The focus of Christian ministry is a narrow focus. That focus is the saving power of the gospel. That's Christian ministry. Why? Because God is love, hell is real, and people don't have to go there. So we believe in the saving work. What is Christian ministry? It is sharing the saving work of Jesus. But it has broad applications. Why do we do the food pantry? Why do we do the food pantry? Is it because we just think it's a good thing to help people and feed people? No, we do the food pantry because Jesus is the bread of life that will feed people's souls and we need a tangible example of what we're preaching. Because people are going to live for eternity. Everybody in here, 50, 60 years, 70, you might live to be 99. 99 years is a drop in the bucket of eternity. 
and people will live forever in eternal joy on a new heaven and a new earth with God, or they experience the full eternal wrath of God in hell. It's a terrible prospect. So our Christian ministry is not just doing things here on earth to make earth more enjoyable. We do it with a deeper and more profound why do we have the clothes closet? Because if you're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you can't enter into the eternal kingdom. Why do we have hearts and hammers? Because unless the Lord builds a house, those who build labor in vain. As Jesus says, you come with me, now I'm sending you out. John Piper said that, that missions, missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason we go on mission is because people don't know the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we want them to. So we gather together with Jesus, then we are sent out. Look, why do we talk about reconciliation? Why do we think people from all ethnicities and race ought to be together? Why? It's not because we're trying to press some sort of social agenda. It's because at the cross... What we're told is that the cross reconciles us to God through Jesus, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Why do we gather on Sundays? We gather on Sundays to, to be strengthened, to be healed, to grow, to be encouraged, so that we then might be sent out to preach, to preach Christ with our lives, with our mouths. Is that how you see your life? Do you see your life as gospel ministry? Look, whatever job you have, whatever career you have, however you're actually making a wage, you're being paid, that money that you are being paid, that is God giving you. He is funding you in your own personal mission. You are on mission. God is funding that. Jesus called him in with him, sent him out. Used to be at the old churches, <clears throat> drive out of the parking lot, and when you left, there'd be a sign you could see that would say, you are now entering the mission field. I want to find a way to have those signs around here because that's exactly what we're doing every Sunday when we leave. Lord's Church, it'll be healthy and strong. I'm going to give you a fifth phrase, number five. Join me there, verse 16, 17, and 18, and 19. That fifth phrase is diverse family. We are a, like a sentence, we are a diverse family. Verse 16 tells us he appointed the 12. 12 is on purpose. Why did he give us that number? There were 12 tribes of Israel, Israel, God's people, Jesus now, as a new and better Moses, he is giving us an extension of a new Israel in the church, calling the 12 apostles. Verses 16, 17, 18, and 19 is the list. There are four lists in the New Testament of apostles. You have them in Matthew and in Luke, Luke chapter 6, Acts chapter 1, Matthew chapter 10, and here in Mark chapter 3. All of them are lists of the apostles. And, and what a what a wild bunch of people. You got six 
six fishermen, or four fishermen, one tax collector, one radical, one betrayer, and five people we don't really know anything about. And all of the lists are arranged differently, except there, there's only two similarities in every list. In every single list, Judas the betrayer is at the bottom, always. And every single list, Peter is at the top. Let's start with him, verse 16. Verse 16, we're introduced to a man named Simon. He is Simon, son of John. He is brother of Andrew. We are told that Jesus gave him a nickname. Peter is a nickname. Petros in Greek, Cephas in Aramaic, it means rock. Now, we don't know why Jesus called him that right now because he just called him there. Maybe he's got a head like a rock. Maybe Jesus is going to build a foundation. We don't know. We just know his name is rock. We know that Looking back, we know some things about Peter. He is the leader in the Jerusalem church. He has feet of clay. His infamous denials. We know that his mouth sometimes gets, in the, gets away from him. We know, however, that after the resurrection, his heart is for Christ. And after the resurrection, Peter is unflappable. We know that Peter wrote two New Testament books, 1st and 2nd Peter, and also probably helped that's the first one. Come down to verse 17, we meet two other men that round out the inner circle with Jesus, James and John. They are brothers. James and John are nicknamed Boazernes, which means sons of thunder, like a WWE name, sons of thunder. Why did Jesus call them the sons of thunder? We don't know why. Maybe when uh, Mark chapter 9 tells us that uh, they were in a town and they saw some people casting out demons in the name of Jesus and they went over there to try to stop them by force, ready to fight. Or in Luke chapter 9, when the Samaritan village wouldn't accept them, when they were rejected by the Samaritans, their solution was, let's call down fire from heaven and burn the place to the ground. Maybe that's why Jesus called them sons of thunder. It's interesting, isn't it, that James, James will be the first apostle to die as a martyr in Acts chapter 12. He'll be the first one to die. His brother John, his brother John will live longer than any of the other apostles into his 90s. John will write five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, book of Revelation, first, second, and third, John. There you have the inner circle with Jesus. Let's go outside that circle to a man named Andrew in verse 18. Andrew is Peter's brother. Andrew is sort of in the background. He is the one who brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist before he followed Jesus. Verse 18, a man named Philip. Philip is the one where uh, the, the, the lion where the Gentiles came and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. They said that to Philip. Philip then took him to Andrew. Andrew took him to Jesus. Bartholomew. Bartholomew is not a name. It is a title. Bartholomew means son of Ptolemy. So his title is Bartholomew. Probably his name is Nathaniel. That's in John's gospel. If it's Nathaniel, he's the one that said, when he saw Jesus, can anything good Come out of Nazareth. Jesus said about, about Nathaniel, here is an Israelite in whom there is no 
guile. In other words, what you see is what you get. Come down the page a little bit. Matthew, that's Levi, the tax collector. We've already met him. Thomas, Thomas, pause and look at Thomas. Some of you are Thomas or Thomas et. Some of you are Thomas. Anxious, worried, doubting Thomas. Thomas expected things to go poorly. It is hard for Thomas to actually be optimistic. Thomas is a glass half full person. He's a pessimist. Now, every pessimist I've ever known considers himself a realist. That's what you say, but really he's a pessimist. Yeah, he's the one, he's the one that I wasn't there when Jesus returned, but, but when Jesus came back and, and said, I want you to reach here and feel. Thomas is the one who did that and said, my Lord and my God. Coming down to the page, verse 18. James, son of Alphaeus, we don't know really much about him. He's been called James the Lesser or James the Younger. Thaddeus, we don't know much about him. John 14, he's equated with Judas, who is not Iscariot. Coming down the page, Simon the Zealot. What we know about him is he is a radical right-wing man that hates the Romans, wants to overthrow them. He's political. And then down to verse 19, is Judas Iscariot. I do not understand how he gets listed, how the sovereign Jesus, knowing Judas would do what he's going to do, that's the one I don't get is the betrayer. Now, if you step back from this group of people and you look at these guys, you think about who they are. None of them are experts. They're all lay people, not a preacher, not a prophet, not a scholar in the entire bunch. Any way you cut it, any way you cut it, any way you cut it, it was a strange and diverse and imperfect bunch of people. This is who Jesus chose to build his church. All of them so different, all of them devoted to Christ, a diverse family that he's put you in. Let me give you one last phrase. One last phrase is gracious determination. Gracious determination. Verse 20 and 21 is an embarrassing passage. In fact, Mark is the only one who mentions it. Nobody else writes it. Matthew and Luke, John, they don't write about it. It's so weird. Verse 20 says that he went home. He's there back probably at Peter's house. And there's so many people that are piling in that they can't even, can't even eat. In verse 21, when his family heard it, when his family heard what was going on, they went there to seize him, to arrest him, to intervene. This is what they said about him. He's out of his mind. He has lost his mind. All John, the Gospel of John tells us in John chapter 7, verse 5, that even his brothers, the brothers of the Lord, did not believe him. Mark says in verse 21, let me give you the, the truth. Peter probably told Mark this. Here's what they said. They said, he's crazy. And I started thinking about this. What do you, I'm scratching my head, what do you do with that? I went outside and talked to Connie. I said, babe, let me ask you a question. What do you think about this passage? How would you apply this passage? Connie said that um, you could apply it like this. Sometimes your family thinks you're crazy, that don't mean you are. 
So that's true. That happens to be true. I'm, that's not how I'm going to apply it, though. Let me step back. Let me just step back. Think about his mom and his brothers. They think he is crazy on the front end of his ministry. If you fast forward three and a half years, Jesus has been killed, crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. Acts, Acts opens up. Acts chapter 1 in Jerusalem. They are diswrought. They don't know what to do. And at the very first meeting in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, you have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers of Jesus in the church at Jerusalem. When Paul writes to the church at Galatia, what he does in, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul mentions James, the brother of Jesus, who is with him. You open your New Testament, what you find there, two New Testament books written by a man named James and a man named Jude, who are the half-brothers of Jesus. Let me pause and make the application. Just because people reject you, maybe your family, maybe they even think you're crazy. Just because they reject on the front end, don't write people off. Don't write them off yet. Sometimes conversion, sometimes it takes a little while with some people. Be graciously, be graciously determined to keep sharing Jesus, keep loving people to Christ. Look, we want the, we want the Lord's church to be healthy and strong. And we want this church to be built on the gospel of Jesus. This morning, we're going to close with a time of commitment and prayer. And as we do, I'm just going to say a prayer of commitment, and we'll sing uh, the final song. So I'm going to ask you to join me now with your heads bowed just for a moment and think with me. Before we pray, just think with me. With your heads bowed, just think with me. Which of these things spoke mostly to, to you? Have you made it so that you are not, you are so busy you have just neglected a, a separation, a time when you are alone with God? Or maybe you worry so much you feel like you're carrying the way of the world. You're worried that it's up to you to say the right thing or do the right thing. You've forgotten to rely. Maybe today you just need to let some of that go and trust that God is going to work. Or maybe you're here, you come to church on Sundays, but, but this is all you actually are doing, and God is calling you, moving in your soul, to have a more solid approach to, to discipleship. Or maybe we commissioned the Norkids, or we talked about ministry. You, you're thinking outward. You want to do more. Maybe today you'd like to commit yourself. Maybe you're sitting in this building right now and you don't feel like you belong. You think, you know what? I'm not sure I belong there. Why don't you look around you? We've got people from all over. This is a diverse family. God has brought you here to be a part, not because you fit in, but because you don't. And Christ covers you, and you become part of the church. Maybe you just need to make up your mind, pick that person up. You, you just have given up on, and today you've been reminded to have gracious determination. We sing this last song. I'll invite any of you that would like to come forward and pray, talk about what it means 
to walk closer with God, or maybe you just want to come forward by yourself and pray. You don't have to have a pastor pray with you. If you, however, are here and you want to know what the gospel is and how you can be saved, you can come forward while we're singing or, or we can meet you out in the lobby. Talk about what it looks like for you to begin your life with Christ. Let me pray and we'll sing another song of worship. Father, we thank you for the grace you've given us in Jesus, for time together in your word, for the celebration of worship. We thank you for the report of these students memorizing your word. We ask you, Lord, to drive it deep in their hearts. We thank you for the Norkits. We thank you for this church. Father, I pray that you would move in the hearts of your people and find us faithful even this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?